and I declare the winner of the 2019 Brownlow Medal, Nathan Park of the Fremantle Football Club. Hello all, welcome back to the Centre Square podcast on Sport FM 91.3, your football headquarters. We've been smashing out the content lately, getting the guests every week. Last week, Campbell Brown. This week, we've got a great guest from Melbourne, Ethan. How are you, how are you going? I believe you're going to yeah. introduce him. Super pumped to be here again. Uh, our first non-player on the show this season, so it would be good to talk about a few different things and get uh, another perspective. Um, so, Fox Sports journalist and reporter um, with Fox Footy and Fox Cricket. He's covered many big events such as the Draft, World Cricket World Cup, just to name a few. Uh, he's a regular on, on the couch from Fox Footy Live, um, and he's also done some work for some other networks such as 3AW as well. He is one of the best in the business, and we've been very much looking forward to this since the moment we got into contact with him. It's Tommy Morris. Tommy, welcome. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Bray. It's great to be with you. It's... Uh... Well, I'm not quite Campbell Brown. I'm not. Uh, I'm not an AFL player, but hopefully, I can have a chat and give some insight. If I, if you, uh, if you raise the right topics, I'm, there's a lot going on in the footy world at the moment, so I'm sure it won't be too hard. Yeah, there that is. sure is. Sure. But uh, we'll get things underway. Can you tell us about your life growing up and how your passion came to sports to then lead you on into the media uh, industry? Well, I, I grew up in Melbourne in Victoria. Um, my passion for sport, like I can't remember not being passionate about cricket and footy as the main two sports, but I also love. Soccer and tennis and golf are probably the main other ones. Um, and, and essentially just grew up like anyone else, just loved playing footy and cricket in the backyard and, and, and playing club sport. Um, and as I got older, it became more apparent that I was really interested in, in playing sport, but also digesting lots of sport and, and, and watching lots of sport and reading about lots of sport. It wasn't just um, watching it and move on. It was reading how articles are written. It was looking at interviews. It was... Uh, I was really interested in the way the media worked. And I, that was just organic. It wasn't from my parents, really. One of them, my dad's a teacher and mum works at a hospital. It's not like I'm, uh, I'm coming from a media family, but I was just really interested in it. And then I was like, probably as I started to finish school, I, I realised that I'd like to do some form of journalism or sports journalism. But I guess like lots of teenagers, you don't really know how that looks or, or, or how to get into it. Um, the media landscape's changing so quickly. And, and it was back then as well. I mean, when I finished school, there was no Twitter. Facebook was the main... Uh, main medium for social media and there's no Instagram and, and, and Fox footy was a shadow of what it is now. Um, so it's, it's all really changed. And, and essentially all I did was just did a sports journalism degree at La Trobe University here in Melbourne. Um, I took a year off after school, went and played cricket in England, came back, did a journalism degree. And, uh, and that allowed me to yeah, learn some technical things and, and, and get a better handle on what I was good at and what I wasn't so good at. But more importantly, it allowed me to meet people and get some, uh, get a head start into into getting into the industry that way. So I don't know. I I I, I think I I think I'm a sports journalist because I love sport and I love the media around sport. But if I'm if I'm completely honest with myself, I also think I'm a sports journalist because I wasn't great at maths. I didn't really like science. I didn't like languages at school. So I just did a lot of humanities and it probably just allowed me to streamline my skills better earlier rather than people who are talented at lots of different things and they probably have more choices to make when they leave school and go to university. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned the contacts part of it. Um, we definitely know already that 
contacts is a big key. But um, what were some of the voluntary experiences that you did in your spare time to get yourself ahead of others? And then how long did it actually take for you to be qualified? Good question. Um, yeah, so good question. In 2012, I decided I was going to devote every Saturday to going to do voluntary work at the Northern Footy League, which is a high high level sort of local football competition in, in Melbourne. And, and in doing that, um, I got to meet lots of people in the Northern Footy League. I, I was allowed, I, You become pretty experienced pretty quickly because you're watching a lot of footy, you're writing a lot of footy. Um, and although it was free work, it was really valuable work with my uni. And uh, about a quarter of the way through the year, uh, I had a contact, or not a contact, I, my next door neighbours I was growing up had a contact um, with someone who worked in the digital department at St Kilda Footy Club. And she was going on maternity leave and they needed someone to do some free work. And they'd seen that I was doing all this free work in the Northern Footy League. And they, was one, they were wondering if I could um, write an article a week for them after each game, just from home and just send it through. It was five talking points on, uh, on every St Kilda game. And if anyone that's written on footy, you know that five talking points on a game of footy isn't very hard to write. You just pick five subheadings and you just sort of write 50 to 100 words on each one, which is exactly what I did. And then at the end of 2012, I was pretty happy. You get, you get things published and I, I was really happy. with. I'm not a St Kilda supporter, but it didn't matter. And then uh, they offered me a two days a week in 2013, paid. And I thought that was just awesome. Um, and then match day, so three days a week. And then uh, at the end of 2013 into 2014, I got, as I finished uni, they knew I was finishing uni and they offered me a full-time job. So I was full-time at St Kilda 2014 and 15, um, writing for the website. And then, uh, then I got a job at Fox Footy at the end of 2015, which again, wasn't the plan. It wasn't always the plan. It just sort of bobbed up. But the main thing was that the, the free work I did and, and the voluntary work, which I understand is not possible for every single person in this situation, um, the voluntary work I did in 2012 uh, for, a, for a, all, all year, really, I did probably hundreds of hours of work allowed me to get a good framework, a good building block so that by the time I, they offered me a part-time job, I was, I was ready to go. Um, and, and, and I would recommend that to everyone if yeah. you can do it. Not everyone can, but it certainly benefited me. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It definitely helps you in good stead going into the future. Yeah, of course. Um, Tom, when was it first you got your first taste of live TV and how nervous were you when you came up? I'm assuming yeah, it was on Fox Sports. Uh, it, was Fox, it was Fox Sports News, actually. And um, probably the first big story that I broke was um, when the pay dispute finished at the end, uh, about midway through 2017. The cricketers and the, and, and the Cricket Australia were having a big pay dispute regarding the CBA. Um, and it was going on and on and on. Yeah. And I managed to get a scoop by about 10 minutes, literally about 10 minutes. But anyone that's sort of familiar with uh, online marketing and, 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 uh, and digital revenue would understand that 10 minutes equates to a fair bit of money if you can get something big that no one else has. So I broke the story. Then they asked me to uh, come on Fox Sports News at, at, uh, after the press conference at the MCG where they were announcing it. And if anyone remembers that the press conference was extremely cold. You know, there was a lot of division between the players and Cricket Australia and it was really quite a bloody um, two or three months there between the two parties. Anyway, and I hadn't shaved. Um, I, had, I had, on the weekend, so I played footy and on the weekend, two weekends before, I'd broken my pinky finger on my left hand and my wrist on my right hand in the same incident. I was tackled to the ground and I broke my wrist on my right and my pinky finger on my left in the same incident. So I actually, I was in a sling in one hand and the other hand had plaster and that was the first time I was on TV. So I was unshaven. I uh, had a terrible gray jumper and 
I had essentially no hands. Um, and it was just a, an amazing look for anyone. Just what is, what is wrong with Tom? But yeah, I, I was nervous, but I also knew my content. So it was okay. And that's probably the main advice I'd have for anyone. Um, that if you're, if you're going on TV, it's normal to be nervous. It's normal to be nervous if you're broadcasting yourself anywhere. But if you know your content back to front and you understand how to explain it in the most simple way, um, then, then you, can, you can probably adequately um, do yourself justice when you're on air. But that was probably the first time. That was July 2017. And then what happens is like anything, the more you do it, the less nervous you become. And now I go on TV, I really only get nervous when I'm talking about something that's delicate. For example, the Dean Laidley stuff over the weekend or something that requires really specific wording um, to explain something. Otherwise, uh, I've sort of got used to it. But that's taken uh, a, a long time to get over those, those nerves. I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer. You know, I'm, I'm just, I just enjoy content. I like sports. So it takes a while to get over that sort of initial anxiousness that goes with uh, b- the being on TV or being on radio. Yeah, it's pretty natural for anyone. But um, what's it been like to work alongside some of the greats on both box footy and box cricket? Um, do you still pinch yourself? And who are your favourites or best have some fun with? Yeah, no, I pinch myself. as more so, uh, I'm, it might surprise some, I'm not sure. I'm more of a cricket man. I love footy, but cricket's my true passion and, and I love cricket. So when I'm working on Fox cricket and you're sitting next to Michael Vaughan or Mark War or these people that you've grown up and they're internationally, you know, they're all known all around the world, Shane Warne, um, you sort of have to pinch yourself a little bit. You do get a bit used to it. I, I don't think I'll ever get used to working with Adam Gilchrist because he was all and, and, and as a result, when I sit next to him, um, it's just an amazing feeling. So, and then I'm looking, I'm looking outside the office now. I'm looking at Nick Rewalt sitting on the couch. And then um, you sort of get used to the Fox footy guys as well. But you, what you realise is that all these people are like normal, they're normal people. Um, you know, they're no different to us. They're just amazingly talented at what they do. And when you get to know them, that's probably what you understand. I, I think, uh, oh, look, you know, my favourites are always the guys who are, who were the friendliest earlier. So Jonathan, Jonathan Brown was always really good um, from the start. Brad Johnson's a ripper bloke, but I can't speak badly about any of these guys because if, if you're just friendly and nice and polite to them, um, you'll earn their respect and, and obviously they've got your respect given um, what they've achieved and, and how they carry themselves as well. Yeah. Um, can you give us an insight into your, say, daily life at Fox Cricket and Fox Footy, what you do when you're, I guess, working there? in the studios or at games so you can give the viewers, listeners a bit of an insight into um, what during the week does. or at games you're saying sorry uh well we're well, during the week. Well, in the, the, the weeks where, where the real so, like news breaking and and ideas and content fleshes itself out because clearly on friday nights and saturdays and sundays the, the games are the news so you don't really have to create a lot you just have to follow the the trend of what's going on and everyone can see that the um during the week, Monday, well, probably Monday is the biggest day of news because you've got nine games to analyse from the weekend. You've got injuries, you've got um, potential controversy, suspensions, um, match review panel. You know, the tribunal sometimes sits on Monday nights. You've got rules that are up in the air. You know, Dane Rampey might have climbed up a post. There's, there's lots of issues that happen uh, on Monday and it all sort of comes to a head on Monday evening when on the couch is on. This is normally, not this season, given what we've been through, but... Monday, to give you an idea of a Monday morning, um, it's probably the best hour of the week when I get to work at about 9 o'clock and then at about 10 o'clock, we've got an on-the-couch meeting. So you walk into this room and there's Jared Healy sitting there. He's like a statesman, Brownlow medalist. You've got, well, last year it was Paul Ruse. This year it's Nick Rewalt. 
you've got Jonathan Brown and you've got Gary Lyon and you've got a couple of producers um, and a couple of and a, and a stats guy from Champion Data, and for an hour they just talk in an unfiltered way about the footy from the weekend, and you learn so much just sitting there. And I I butt in whenever there's a news item, but other than that, it's just uh, it's just it's just pure footy talk, and I love that hour. And then from 11 a.m. when the meeting finishes to 8:30 that night. My job is to go away and find as many good news stories as I can. I say good news stories. What I mean by that is sometimes they're not good, but they're big news stories. Um, and, and that's a challenge sometimes because sometimes there's not a lot around. The closer you get to the trade period, the more stories there are. But earlier on the season, first half of the season, it's not easy to find big news stories, especially when there's a number of journalists chasing the same thing. So that's a Monday. And then as the way I explain it is, is every day goes on the news becomes less and less and the games become more and more important from the weekend coming up. So Tuesday is bigger than Wednesday, then Wednesday is bigger than Thursday and so on. Um, and then I'm on AFL tonight, which is a show on Fox as well, a couple of times a week. And then there's shows like Fox Footy Live that have started up and, um, and First Crack is a show as well. We do podcasts. There's a hell of a lot going on. You're always busy. You're always trying to be on the phone. Um, but it's really, it, it's, it's great to be a part of because you realise that, uh, that, that so many people love footy so much and you're helping bring the game to them, which is in a very small way, which is extremely rewarding. Yeah. So um, speaking, you were speaking of the back end of the year and, you know, the trade and trade period and that. Um, so you've obviously done the coverage of the draft. You know, there's a current debate on the age. What is your view and take Yeah, on the it? draft coverage has been interesting. I'm no draft expert, so um, uh, I'm not one to go out and make an outlandish comment. But my, my overarching view, my overarching view on the draft age is that whilst it would probably make some people, some young kids, more able to deal with the rigours of AFL than what they otherwise would have been, I think the draft age should stay the same because I'm not sure in a league that is crying out for talent, um, it, it's already quite dispersed across 18 teams, why you would starve the, the viewers and the fans of some of the best young players in the country. I mean, imagine Sam Walsh gets doesn't get drafted till he's 19. Like, he was one of Carlton's best players last year. In the back half of the year, he was an absolute star for them. I think he finished fourth in their best and fairest or thereabouts. I know that not every draftee is like that, but there would be a handful or maybe a dozen draftees every year um, that are clearly, clearly, that are absolutely good enough to play. And I'm not sure why you'd star, starve the league of those players. I think the onus is more, if you're talking about the mental health of young players and being able to deal with the rigours of the elite system, the onus is more on the clubs that they join and the welfare managers, on the, on the player agents and managers, and also on the coaches and the teammates. And I think more can be done there. But my, I'm not, I'm not you know, hell-bent on it, but my preference is that the draft, stays the, the draft age stays the same. And if you finish school and you're good enough to play AFL, then you get into the system and, and you play AFL. I think that's um, been pretty... I'm not sure. I'm, I'm yet to hear a great argument otherwise, but I'm all ears if there is a good, if there is a good one. What about yes. um, lists getting cut? What are your, what's your uh, opinion on that? Yeah, as well? look, people say we need to give jobs to as many different people as possible. But the number one, in my view, the number one responsibility for the AFL is to have, um, is to have the best product possible. Exactly in the same way as I say about the draft age, the product needs to be the best possible. And I, I just wonder whether the list sizes being 40 or 45 um, actually de- decreases the quality of football because you have players that aren't necessarily good enough to being in the AFL system. And they're taking money away and salary cap, way, uh, salary cap space away from players that deserve more and deserve all the money they can get. Look, I, I wouldn't 
shave it to 35. I think that's a bit drastic. But if you, if you imagine that most list sizes are 45, 46, 47 at the moment, I think going down to 40 or 41 is probably a, a reasonable solution given what we've been through this year. Uh, watching a lot of club footy, as I have done, and, and being part of a club in the, in the VAFI here in, in Melbourne and watching VFL footy and, and seeing a lot of footy below the AFL level, my view is firm that you, you could take the bottom 10 players at any club um, and it didn't matter what club, the bottom 10 players, so players, let's say, 37 to 47, and that's 180 players across the league, and you could replace those 180 players with the next best 180 players outside of the AFL system, and the AFL would be absolutely no different. In fact, it, you could argue it might be better in some ways because there would be less project players and more players stepping in from the VFL or the Waffle or the Sandful ready to go. And that's not a criticism of those players. It's just the reality that I think once you get to sort of 30 or 35 on a list... Uh, the talent falls off a perch a little bit for most clubs, not all clubs, but most, most clubs. And as a result, I don't think you really need players 40 to 47. That, that's, just my, that's just my opinion. Um, I know others don't share that, but I, I don't think we need so many players on a list at the moment, given what we've been through this year. Yeah. I yeah. think because um, you just need to, they need to get that balance right. So not too many... Um, so that like it's just too many on this, but you don't want too uh, less in case there's injuries. Yeah, that's right. That's important. And, and if there's injuries, well, I mean, it depends whether you can bring players in mid-season as they did. Maybe you have a mid-season draft um, a couple of times a year where you can bring players in. But the, the money is so tight in the AFL now, given the after the coronavirus, and salary caps are going to be squeezed and soft caps are going to be squeezed, which means there'll be less coaches. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. 18, 18 clubs times 40 or 47 play, 45 or 47 players is a hell of a lot of players to be accommodating on a list when probably, I'm, I'm, I don't know, but maybe 10 players in each club are not even close to playing each year, maybe a bit more. It's, uh, it's a lot of players that aren't actually impacting the AFL system on any given year that are still in an AFL environment. Yeah, so you just touched on the mid-season draft. Yeah, I like uh, it. I, I, like any, I like any draft in any trade yeah. period that sort of um, increases the interest. Uh, you know, Marlon Pickett was a great advert- advertisement for it last year, um, not just for Richmond, but also for the Waffle yeah. and also for uh, his Indigenous community. I think it was awesome. Um, again, I'm no draft expert, but I think it worked quite well last year. I would like to see players, if they're taken in the mid-season draft, uh, get an automatic... 18-month contract, so they're contracted for the next year as well. What we saw is, uh, what's his name? There was a player at Sydney who was drafted and um, was delisted at the end of the year. And upon reflection, it would have been better for him to continue to dominate um, playing at a local level and be taken in the national draft in November of 2019 because then you automatically get a two-year contract when you're taking the national draft. So I think there's a few teething issues there, but I think on the whole, a mid-season draft is good for the game. Yep. Um, obviously, the modern world, society, uh, social media is a big part. Uh, how many messages do you get, say, on Twitter and how do you deal with the negativity and example with the host? Yeah, it's amazing some year. of the stuff that you get sent. It's, um, look, I'm, I'm lucky that it, it doesn't get to me because for whatever reason, I've, I've sort of grown up in a pretty robust environment. You know, I've, I've caught sprays from coaches and teammates and I'm lucky that I have, and, and I say this sincerely, I'm lucky that I haven't had mental illness. So, I'm not necessarily vulnerable in the first place. Plenty of people are, not just journalists, um, but also people in, in society and, and players. I spoke to a player a couple of weeks ago uh, along these lines, and he said that the main issue for social media for him is, is, is not during the week or, or when he's going to bed on a Friday night. It's, it's after he plays a bad game. And then he, 
he wakes up the next morning and he's already flat. And then that's compounded by more social media messaging. So uh, I think people are, I, I, I can't imagine ever, and even before I was a journalist, I can't imagine ever saying some of the things you receive on social media. People get emotional about their footy clubs. I understand that. Um, but I, I just sort of let it go through. Um, you get a lot of tweets. I mean, you know, if you, you know when you're going to get um, particular feedback on, on stories. The Adelaide training camp was one where the, the Crow supporters went at me for a year, but then it stopped when, it was, when they sort of realised that the, the, uh, the club had sort of um, completely, uh, had completely stuffed up from, a, from a, a well-being perspective for their players. So, look, it doesn't, it, lucky it doesn't get to me a lot. It gets to, it gets to other people. In, in regards to the Jesse Hogan scenario specifically, well, that, I, look, I don't know. I, I feel like that um, that reflected more on him than me. When I, I didn't know Jesse Hogan at all. Um, the Melbourne Footy Club podcast that I was doing, I wasn't sacked from, as he suggested. Um, I didn't leak information. My job as a journalist is to get leaked information, not to leak information elsewhere. Um, and I remember speaking about that on the Fox Footy podcast at the time. Uh, I've got no hard feelings against Jesse at all. I hope he gets back and plays. But, it, you know, when, when you get called a leech, you think, geez, that's interesting. Um, and then the occasional Docker supporter gets on Twitter now and calls me a leech as well. But, uh, you know, if, if the worst thing that happens to me in my journalistic career, that a player who doesn't know me and doesn't know the facts calls me a leech, then I think I'm going okay. So, no, I don't lose any sleep over it at all. Yeah. Um, it got a bit of publicity at the time, um... I think because I'm not sure if you've seen it, but Caden McDonald is a YouTuber um, in Melbourne. Um, does a lot of yeah, parodies and that sort of stuff. You got to mention in his uh, yeah, parody I saw, as well. I did see that actually. Someone I'd completely forgotten about that. Someone sent me that link. That's fine. Like my, my view is, and this is for me. It doesn't apply for everyone else because I know I understand that words can hurt others, um, especially those that are vulnerable in the first place or have grown up in a different environment to me. But there's very little you can say to me about me that actually offends me. I'm not trying to pretend I'm tough or I'm, I'm stronger than anyone else. I'm not. It just, uh, it, it's sort of water if a duck's back and it always has been. Um, and it, if, if people want to continue um, saying what they say, that's fine. I mean, all that matters to me is that my employer and my work colleagues, my family um, and my friends are sort of, they understand where I'm coming from and, and the rest is okay as well. I mean, in the end, footy's a tribal environment. So in a tribal environment, you get emotion and with emotion, um, you know, comes comes a, a certain level of, of angst and frustration from fans sometimes, and that's just part of the job. I'm no different to any other journalist. I'm also no different to any other player in that they cop it from uh, opposition supporters as well. So, uh, I, as I said, I don't lose too much sleep over it. I did see that song, and I actually had a chuckle. I thought it was quite funny. Yeah. Um, so, mentioning that part of your job, so do you feel like it is part of your job to um, provide all the news to these people and these various platforms with the way technology is advancing and how hard is it to put your bias to the side have you even stopped supporting any certain teams no employment I, I trust myself that i can um i can put my my any bias to one side like I, I i'm a melbourne supporter so yes i'm a supporter but i'm uh my number one responsibility is to my job and I think what you'd find is I'm probably harsher on Melbourne than, than some other clubs because um, I watch them more closely because I have a greater understanding of their history and their players and, um, and, and what, what's gone before in the, some pretty dark times. Um, I, I think any journalist should be able to do that. I know some don't, some are especially biased towards some clubs or, or more clubs than others. But my, my, 
everyone's got preconceived ideas about particular issues. You know, my 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 views on on social issues, my views on on coaches or players or, or teams or events uh, are a construct of my uh, of my environment and my upbringing. And to suggest that no one is biased in any way would be completely wrong. The the challenge, and I guess the the, the task for for me and any other journalist is controlling that bias, recognizing that bias, and and not letting it affect the content that you deliver. And I'm confident that I don't. I, 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 you can call me many things, but I don't think anyone would ever call me biased towards Melbourne. I think, if anything, I'd be probably biased against Melbourne. My love for Melbourne Footy Club as a kid is not what my love for Melbourne Footy Club is now. I think that would be the same for most people. Your passion when you're young is sort of born out of uh, this is everything. This is all you've got. But I understand now that if Melbourne win or Melbourne lose, my, my weekend's not ruined. Um, I, can't work, I, and I haven't been able to work out whether my passion for Melbourne has dissipated because they've been no good for so long up until 2018 or because I'm now working in the, in this, in the industry and it's all a bit more real. I don't really know, but I'm, I'm a Melbourne member. I'm a Melbourne supporter. If Melbourne won a grand final, I'd be stoked. When Melbourne made the finals a couple of years ago, I thought it was awesome. But when Melbourne lose on a Sunday, uh, again, I don't lose any sleep over it at all. I know not all supporters are like that, but I, you can probably call me a little bit of a lukewarm supporter now for those reasons, which is just the reality of, of where I'm at. Yep. Yeah, uh, and speaking about that bias, um, there's been a bit of, uh, I guess, controversy about big bias in yeah. the AFL at the moment. Um, I know Robbo last night was speaking about it, and uh, Tom Rockcliffe and Travis Boat were also talking about it on radio. So what are your thoughts on it um, being over there in oh, Melbourne? Well, on, those, on the particular issues of, um, of players not being able to train in 10, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous that that West Coast and Freo can't train in groups of 10. I mean, if, the, if you're legally allowed to, imagine if um, Nick Natanui was at the park and then he just happened to bump into Shannon Hearn who happened to bump in to Brad Shepard and then they happened to bump in to Andrew Gaffin. All of a sudden, they're training in a group of eight, but it's not, it's not official. Like, I think if the, if, the, if the local government or the jurisdiction or the, or the Premier says you can do a certain thing, you should be allowed to do that. And training in a group of 10 compared to training in a group of two, it's got some added benefits, but... As, um, as Tom Rockcliffe has spoken about and others, it's, uh, it's outweighed by the fact that if you're a West Coast or Fremantle player, you've got to travel across the country every second week. So um, that's, on that specific issue, I agree with the, with the non-Victorian. Vic, Vic bias is always, and Melbourne bias, I'm talking Melbourne, the city bias, has always intrigued me since I became a journalist. Because before I started working at Fox, it didn't even cross my mind that I was, that, that I was biased in any way towards Victoria. But what happened now is... You write a story that's favourable about a Victorian team and not favourable to a um, to an interstate team, or even just even just unfavourable to a non-Victorian team, and you get accused of Vic bias, and you go, I couldn't care less that I'm from Victoria. I like people from South Australia and Western Australia. It doesn't bother me at all. Again, I know more people are tribal than me, but uh, I think the AFL has made the wrong decision here. I don't think they've necessarily done it because it's bias. I just think they've made the wrong call. And, uh, and I wish that they would allow the players to train in groups of 10. Robbo spoke about it last night. I saw that. Um, it's an interesting topic to talk about, state bias. But it's, uh, for me, it doesn't even rate a mention. And it sort of uh, baffles me when people accuse me of it because I'd happily live in Sydney or Perth or Adelaide or anywhere else. And, and I really like some of the teams that are non-Victorian more than some of the Victorian teams. Yeah, yeah of course. Well, um, what uh, Robbo was talking about was also the Nat Fife incident with oh, yes. Jeff Kennett. Um, that that was like uh, that surprised me because I feel like whatever Nat Fife says or does, he just gets like um, 
Like, he just gets viewed badly on it. Yeah. Like, I just, same with other WA players. Like, why can't they just express their opinion? Nat Five had, like, a tiny bit of doubt, and then he suddenly gets, like, all these... Yeah, no, but the stuff. same applied to Rory Sloan, who's from Adelaide, and the same applied to Jack Rewalt, who's in, in uh, at Richmond. And um, I, I think that's the case for anyone that expresses doubt, which is understandable, and apprehension towards moving into a hub for an extended period of time. Um, I think everyone has sort of copped it on that in that regard. I think Fife's alone. I mean, look at the, look at what Sloan and Jack Rewalt and Trent Cochin copped over the last uh, over the last couple of weeks. I think Fife's terrific, and I love the way he expresses himself, and I, I love the way that he leads that footy club. I just wish that it, he was at a footy club which was challenging for a flag because I don't like seeing great players down the bottom of the ladder. Sure. But hopefully they can get back up there. Um, mm-hmm. And I like the and I think the way that West Coast. My view is that West Coast is the best-run football business in the country. Um, the money, money they turn over, the, um, the, the way they operate, um, their players, their coaches, how they deal with the media. I, I couldn't be more impressed with the Eagles and, and, and the way they go. And Fremantle had an ordinary year last year. Um, and I don't necessarily think this is all Ross Lyon's fault. But regardless, they sort of started again. And Justin Longmuir was a ripper. Nat Fife, I love him because he's got a personality. And I think any player with a football with a personality needs to be uh, celebrated, not um, not handcuffed. And hopefully we can do more of that. But I definitely don't think the criticism towards Fife has been any more than the criticism towards Rory Sloan or Jack Rewald or Trent Cochin. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, how lucky do you consider yourself uh, working, in an, working in an industry that is dominated by former players? And what have been your favourite things to do uh, when you feel um, in your element... Uh, Doing either special comments, probably just commentating, com- or probably radio. cricket commentary is my favourite thing to do. That's the thing that gives me the, mo- the biggest rush. Calling play by play, as I said, I love cricket. Yeah, it's, it, you, you have to pinch yourself as well that you're that you're working in an industry that you set out to work in. I never knew that I was going to be working at Fox Footy. I thought, oh, maybe the Herald Sun or the Age. I'd have to go into state somewhere, which I haven't been able to do uh, to this point, or work in London. My mum's English, so I'd, I'd happily work in London if I wasn't doing footy. Um, but you never take it for granted and, um, and you, never, you never try to take the foot off the pedal because you know that it's not easy to get into. And, and you remember, and I distinctly remember thinking when I was about 20 or 21, I actually don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, wh- how do I go? And what happens is, and this is my experience, but also others' experience that I've worked with, is that you might have an end goal, but you, you, you get there in so many different ways. There's so many different avenues to get to where you want to get to. And sometimes it's not planned. It just happens. And as long as you're keen, as long as you're efficient in what you do, um, as long as you're, uh, you're friendly and nice to people, generally speaking, then I think most things normally work out for most people. And I think that's probably the overarching, um, my overarching perspective on the media industry. It's hard to get into. It's not impossible to get into. But once you're in, make the most of it by just being friendly and nice and doing good work and people will look after you back. Yeah, uh, that leads to the next question. So do you have any big goals for the future or anything you really want to achieve? And what could you put it down to? Why do you think you're so good at what <laughs> I don't you think do? Was, uh, if I started to think I was so good at what I did, then I'd, uh, I'd hang the boots up. I'd be done. I'm, I, I think I'm just – I know <laughs> no. I think I'm just sort of one of, um, one of a, a pack of AFL you know, news-breaking journalists that, that want to – um, that want to be able to tell stories that no one else can tell. And that's all that news-breaking is. It's just telling people what they don't already know. And you still get a, a thrill when you break a big story. And they're, they're few and far between, but when you get one, it's a really, really good feeling. I mean, Caroline Wilson, who I think is the best at what she does, whether you love her or hate her as a person, 
I really like her. But whether you love her or hate her as a person, what you can't dispute is that as a journalist, she breaks some unbelievable stories and has done for a long period of time. And she says the greatest thrill she has is when she breaks a story that makes her feel sick in the stomach. And she says that's what gets her going the most. And I feel the same. I've broken some stories before where you just feel sick in the stomach because you know, you know you're right, but you also know that it's going to affect people. You know that it's going to have a big impact. You know that Talkback Radio the next morning is, is, is going to be talking about it and it's still going to set off a domino reaction, which you're going to be at the head of. And, that, and that's, that's a daunting prospect. Um, in terms of where do I want to get to, uh, look, six months ago, I would have said to you, I would love to go work in London for a couple of years and take a step back from AFL and see what else I can do, then back myself to come back in. But I think it would be foolish to go to London now, given what's happened in the AFL industry. I mean, you can't actually go at the moment physically, but I, I don't think it would be smart to leave the AFL industry as I am. I'm 28. I may as well um, stick it out and I enjoy it here. The more, the more I host on TV, the more I enjoy it, the better experience that is. I also understand that's not easy to do on a long-term basis because there's a lot of good hosts around that actually trained as TV broadcasters. I'm not trained as a TV broadcaster. I just, I'm, a, I'm a written journalist that's done a bit of radio and sort of been pushed into some TV. Um, but probably my number one career ambition is to do more cricket commentary. Again, not easy because if you look at the Fox cricket teams and the Channel 7 cricket team, um, they're all former players, apart really, uh, really apart from a couple. So I'm, I'm not. I played district cricket and grade cricket in Melbourne, um, but I hadn't, I haven't played at the international level. So I'm, I'm sort of back a step there. And what you've got to do is then be really thorough in how you prepare. Um, again, you've got to be friendly and, and good to people around you, and you've also got to understand that not everything is linear. So you might have to take a step back to take a step forward, or you might not always get exactly what you want, but there's always a better option than kicking and screaming. And what I've seen in the, in the media industry, and I'm sure you guys would be aware of it as well sometimes, not just the media industry, but also in business and, and around the place, is that those people who don't quite get what they want and they, uh, they make a, a mountain out of a molehill, they never get what they want ever again. And, and I think I've, I've had some, you know, some small setbacks like everyone, but if you just write it out, understand that this is just part of the journey um, and then in the end, it'll benefit you. And I think that's, the, that's, that's really important. There's too many people that occasionally completely throw the toys out of the cot. And once you throw your toys out of the cot, you can't pick them up and put, put them back in. That's it, because you're already inside the cot. That's, so that's a, it's one of the sayings that someone who's a bit older than me said to me a few years ago, and it's bang on. So I, if you're going to um, get really frustrated about something, uh, make sure it's absolutely worth it. Otherwise, you'd be better off staying silent, just doing the best job you can, and everything will work out. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and you, um, oh, sorry. I'll just quickly ask you another question that was on my mind. Um, speaking about Caroline Wilson, um, I'm not sure about you, but I watch a lot of like footy classified and that, and I often see like Eddie McGuire pretty uh, stirred up. Do you feel with everything that's going on at the moment, are we sure we trying to, or certainly broadcasters should be trying to uh, work together and not argue? Because um, like we're just trying to get it yeah, together. So uh, it's probably not helping. With the yeah, it's interesting. Their, a broadcaster's responsibility is to create a product that people watch, just like my responsibility is to create um, written content that people read. And the reality is um, it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but debates and arguments on television and on radio often do quite well because they, they entice people to take a side. And that's, that's what Eddie McGuire does really well. He's done it for a long period of time. Caroline Wilson's very strong. She's not arguing for the sake of arguing. I don't think Caroline Wilson most of the time or all, a vast portion of the time. I actually think she genuinely believes what she says, but her and Eddie have vastly different views on a number of issues. And as a result, they go toe to toe. And that's not just 
uh, restricted to them. We see it in the Sunday footy show with Tony Jones and Kane, Kane Corns. You see it sometimes with Robbo and Jared. They argue over certain things. So it's important to pull together, but the media is separate from the AFL. So the AFL's ambition as, as, as a league and as an organisation is to be united, but the media has to be separate from that. The media is there to, be, to give strong feedback, um, to produce content that, without fear or favour, and to hold people in powerful positions to account. And it's important that the media is separate from that. And these clubs, and especially clubs, not as much the AFL, but clubs that try to um, try to spin PR lines and get the media on board, um, the media should never be sucked into that. And I think that's what makes Caroline Wilson so good. She, she, she pisses a lot of people off, Caroline Wilson, but she doesn't care because she's strong in her convictions and that's just who she is. Eddie's a bit different because he's also calling with president and he's got a, his finger in a few pies. Um, but you've got, to, you've got to respect the way that he's been able to stay so relevant in the industry for so long. Uh, he, he works at Fox. He works at Nine. Um, he works at Triple M in Melbourne. He does a lot of things. He wakes up at five every single morning uh, and, and does an amazing job as well. Even if you don't agree with everything he says, his work ethic is second to none. Yeah, of course. Uh, we'll move on to the big topic at the moment in the AFL with the return of the game, what it's going to be like uh, once we go back playing. Obviously, uh, we saw last night you, well, almost every night on Fox Footy Live, you're always, this is probably the number one topic you guys yep. are talking about. So what do you have, well, what do you know? About the hubs? Can you tell us? Or just about, yeah, what's going to, what the AFL will be doing most likely with the uh, games? I think it's, uh, look, I reckon mid to late June is the most likely. So now, oh, do you have a chat to someone? Here you go. Who's this? Who's that? Who's it? This is Nick Rewalt. Nick Rewalt, fellas. Have a chat Nick Rewalt. Oh, Nick. Oh, what's going on? Nick, how are you? I don't know what. Uh, yeah, we're just discussing about. about. We're just discussing about uh, what the AFL is going to do once they go back playing games. Well, what's your opinion? You're speaking to the right man in Tom Morris because he he knows yeah, exactly everything. I'm just wondering what could you possibly have gotten out of him for 40 minutes. So I'm just looking at the elapsed time on this phone call. Yeah, well, there's Not a lot quite, to get out well, of him. Oh, yeah, about 40. Has he, spoke, has yeah, he spoken get about his, his own cricketing career at any stage over the last 40 minutes? We're, we're yeah, about to get he's actually got that, a cricket actually. bat in his hand and he's been practising his forward defence every time I walk past. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's exactly what he does. That's all he does in here. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll leave you to it. Course. Good uh, chat, yeah. There you go. There you go, boys. <laughs> big get. Big well, get. Big get. The, the um, return to footy. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I don't know any more than um, than what's been reported, but I still think mid June to late June is highly likely. Um, I think hubs are less likely, but uh, still a chance because of the pushback from the players, and it's a logistical nightmare. It's also financially extremely costly, um, and, uh, and and the clubs will just have to make do with with the situation. I mean, we're gonna have games most nights of the week. We're probably going to have a grand final in October. Um, we're going to have uh, shorter quarters as we had in round one, maybe bigger benches. But you know what? The most important thing is that footy comes back and I can't wait till it does. Hopefully it's by mid-June, late June because I'm sick of – I don't mind during the week. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick of Saturday and Sundays with no footy. It just feels bizarre. You can't really separate a Thursday from yep. a Sunday. and I don't like that feeling. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more. Wait, well, for, for us in Perth, like – the first game starts at like 11 our time. So it's usually once you've had breakfast, gotten up, Mate, first time game zone, you got, the, yeah, and the time then zone the rest you of the day. Brilliant. I remember being in Perth and, uh, and you can watch Premier League from about 8.30 in the evening and, 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 the, and the AFL yeah. game is done by about 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the evening as well. So you can go out and do it. If you, 
tell yeah. you if if I could live anywhere else, and I'm not just trying to suck up to you guys. If I could live anywhere else in Australia, I would live in <laughs> Perth 100%. I think it's I think it's a beautiful place. I enjoy the weather, fast wickets yeah. as well, so you can play off the back foot. I'm a big fan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. especially with like the ashes and stuff. It's always six, no five, six yeah. start, and then finishes at midnight. So yeah, it's perfect. It all I'm, I'm, je- I'm jealous of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple more questions we've got. Um, what was also talked about last night was your TikTok. Um, that's about that, please, Tom. Have you been stitched up in any? Way? Sorry, I've just lost you guys. I heard, I, I, I heard my TikTok. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. So, have I'll, you been stitched up? I haven't been want. stitched up. No, no, I haven't been stitched up because I chose to do it. I mean, I, I voluntarily did it with my girlfriend, <laughs> and I put it. I made a TikTok account, which. Has caught, well, it's it's taken up a bit of my time actually because what I've really talking seriously for one second before we have a joke about TikTok, that tw- as we were talking about before, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, they can be and the internet in general can be quite a negative place sometimes. There's a saying in the media: if it bleeds, it leads. So if if it's a negative story, it's often um, it's often more clickable than a positive story, which is a shame, but it's just the reality. But TikTok is. So positive, you can't help but enjoy yourself when you're on it. You can't help but laugh. You can't help but uh, but smile when you're looking at it. So I sort of looking at it. I said to my girlfriend Bridget, "Why, why don't we do a TikTok?" And she sort of said, "Well, she's a dancing teacher, so she said I'll teach you this one." So she taught me that one, um, and we did it. Um, and then someone at Fox Footy got a hold of it, and and they put it up. So no, look, I'm not blaming Fox. Uh, one thing I would always be big on is you just don't blame don't blame others. I did the TikTok. I put it on TikTok. Um, and then if someone was going to find it, which I hope they didn't, um, they were going to put it on air and that's what happened. So I just hope that not too many people watched it because uh, my dancing skills are pretty ordinary, even though my girlfriends are pretty good. Yeah, well, we've all been there in the last couple of months with TikTok. But, uh, of course, we'll move on to – we were talking yeah. about cricket not too long ago. Uh, but we'll move on. You took a catch in the Big Bash over the boundary – uh, I think it was a couple of seasons ago. Uh, but we also do a cricket podcast, so a couple of our listeners do love <laughs> their cricket as well. So what what uh, cricket hobbies obviously touched on where you've played? Uh, how much yeah do you love it and travel oh, to go awesome. play cricket? Cricket, cricket's, uh, what I love about cricket is the relaxed nature of it. In it we, live in a, we live in a footy bubble yeah. and, um, and sometimes it's, it, often it's quite intense and, and it's, a, it's a blood sport sometimes. You know, you've got to have thick skin, whereas cricket's a little bit more relaxed. You can actually um, you can ride the ebbs and flows of the game. Um, the catch the catch you speak of was incredible because not because it was a good catch, it was a really simple catch. Because anyone that has fielded on the boundary before, or in the, anyone that's got you know hit long balls hit to them, would understand the hardest catches are the ones that hit really flat and hard, like a pull shot, or the ones that are like yeah. a slog sweep that goes way way up in the air, and you've got to get under it, and then you've got to make a decision whether your hands are pointed up or pointed down, and, and there's different theories to that. But I was always a big proponent of just do whatever's comfortable so for me it's always um, I was always a keeper so my hands are pointed down um, and I sort of had a bit of an alligator here but this this wasn't a big slog sweep up in the air that went way up it wasn't a pull shot that went hard flat it was just a it was a flick off the legs I think from um, Muhammad Nabi from memory and a flick off the legs is just it's like it's like someone's underarming you the ball and all summer I'd done about 20 games for Fox before this I'd said I'd said to the producers and the floor managers, the people next to you on the boundary, I just want to catch. I need a catch. I, I, I would love, and, and you're more likely to get it square of the wicket than down because the more sixes are hit square of the wicket. And this was about the second or third last game from the Renegades. And it just, 
it was perfect. Like I was con- I was concentrating. I was wearing my glasses, meaning I could see. Um, I didn't have my clipboard in my hand. It went right to me. It wasn't way up in the air. It wasn't too hard and flat. And then I celebrated like an idiot. But as as is sort of <laughs> my my uh, I don't even tell like just live and let live. So if I'm going to enjoy it, I may as well just enjoy it properly. I mean, I, I, it would have been inauthentic to sort of sit down and act as if nothing had happened. I may as well just to give some high fives. And yes, a few people called me an idiot. And my mates said, what the hell are you doing? But um, the, the, most people think sports journalists, I don't know, most people, a lot of people think sports journalists and journalists are sort of nerdy poindexters with yeah. glasses who write articles and have, have never caught a ball or never kicked a ball in their life. The reality is that it's no reflection on me. A lot of sports journalists were pretty good sports people themselves and that's how they got contacts in the industry. Um, and I would be very, very disappointed if I dropped that cap. So that would, I wouldn't be able to get over that now. <laughs> what, what's important though, what's important is that I never get a chance again. Because all I can do, unless I take an absolute screamer, is is uh, is downgrade what I've already done. So I'm more than happy now, sitting on the be- on the boundary for the big bash, to not have the ball hit to me. Because uh, if I drop it, which I'd hope not to, but who knows? I might not be concentrating. Might not have my glasses on. Then uh, I'll never hear the end of it, given the way I celebrated the first time. Yeah. And do you feel do you feel any sense of fame with your job? I mean, how often do you get recognised if you're all in public and? Do any of your mates or um, family members message you when they see you on TV or have people kind of got used to it now? Uh, yeah, people have got a bit, more, a bit more used to me being on TV, I think. Um, certainly my mum and my dad and just, just sit and watch. And my mum's quite introverted and she just can't understand how I can speak on TV without reading it. And I said, well, it's just like speaking to anyone without reading it once you get used to it. But it does take a bit of time. Um, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not famous. I don't, I don't do the job for fame in any way. I know that um, a lot of people think that the media are sort of um, gloating and, and, and self. Uh, there, there is a little bit of um, self-promotion. That's sort of part of the job. But I try not to do it too much and I try to understand that I'm not the game. The football players and the creators of the sport and the coaches of the sport, I'm just there to cover it. Um, but anytime you're sort of on a public forum, like on a website or a radio station or a TV channel, um, you sort of become instantly semi-recognisable um, to, to a certain demographic i mean I, I if i go out in melbourne with my mates and as i said i'm 28 um and if i'm in a pub or in a bar or at a restaurant full of people let, let's say young men age 18 to 35 i'm sort of quite recognizable to them <laughs> because they're the ones that are on twitter and on instagram and reading articles and are sort of obsessed with this sort of un, unquenchable um thirst for information but uh I'm not. I'm not from Hollywood, and I don't pretend to be, and I don't want to be. It, it gets a bit. It's a bit awkward sometimes if someone comes up, because if I'm around my mates and I'm and I'm and I'm friendly to this person, um, and say have a chat and whatever, they'll say to me. My mates will say to me, "Oh, you're just you know, you're, you're drinking your own bathwater." But the alter- the the alternative is if I'm rude to this person, the bloke the the person thinks I'm a dickhead. So I actually can't win. Yeah. So I actually find it a bit awkward if someone comes up to me and says, oh, can I can have a photo. I said, mate, you don't want a photo with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a journalist. But then you feel like a dickhead. So it's a bit weird when that happens. I'm not pretending it happens all the time by any stretch of the imagination, but it has taken a bit of getting used to. If, someone, if you walk into a bar and you sort of see a group of um, two or three guys sort of say, oh, there's Tom, and then one comes over and wants a chat, and all you want to do is hang out with your mates, um, it, it's a bit unusual. So it's, it's not something I don't think I'll ever get used to or plan for. If you play AFL, you sort of expect it, I think, that it's going to happen. But if you're a sports journalist, I think um, I think you never really plan for that until it does happen. And again, it's rare, but it has happened a few times. 
Yeah. Um, something that you've been working on is the new Hawthorne podcast, looking back at their successful era, uh, recording with Jared yeah. Ruffin and Jordan Lewis. For those people who may not know, can you tell us a bit more uh, about that new yeah, show? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give a plug. So I'm looking at Jordan Lewis right now, actually, through the window. He's on Fox Footy Live tonight. Um, the glory, uh, not the glory, the golden years is what it's called. And it's a two-part podcast with uh, Jared Ruffin and Jordan Lewis, dissecting sort of the years 2009 to... Jordan Lewis and Jared Ruffhead's departure from the club. And there's a number of good stories in there. I mean, there's, a, there's some funny ones about some skinfold testing. Um, part, a, part A is already up on the Fox Footy app. Um, yep. And Part B is coming out later this week. So the, probably the best stories are still to come, I would suggest, uh, main, mainly around Alistair Clarkson and, and Lance Franklin's um, pretty ordinary relationship and how that sort of drove Buddy out of the club. There's also some stories about um, Jared Ruffhead's final few days at, at Hawthorne where he was told he wouldn't be uh, needed next year, even though he was contracted, and, and his regrets for not pushing through and saying, no, I want, to be, I want to be around here next year anyway. So it's been great to do. That, that's my, that's my favourite thing to do in footy probably is um, telling stories that haven't been told before. And hopefully that transcends footy clubs. Hopefully it's more than Hawthorne supporters that enjoy that because Lewis and Ruffhead are pretty big names. I got to know, got to know them in Noosa. I got a noose here every year with um with my girlfriend for about a week, and uh, we happened to be staying in the in the flat next to the Lewises and the Ruffheads. So I got to know them that way, and uh, I said, "Look, guys, we need some content. Do you do you mind coming in to have a chat for about ninety minutes?" And they said, "Yeah, no worries at all." So they were very willing, and that's that, that's a credit to them. You know, I don't make uh, I in the end I put the podcast together, but it's Lewis and Ruffhead that not, that uh, make people listen, and they were both really easy to work with. So if you want to listen. The Golden Years on uh, on Fox Footy podcast, and you can also find it on the Fox Footy website. Yeah, I'm sure people will definitely tune in if they haven't already. Um, now, just to finish off on before we have a quick fan question, which we we received, uh, we usually ask our guests from a footy sense, but from you in a media perspective, what advice would you give to someone looking to get into sports media, and what things should they be doing if they want to make it far? Oh, it's just what I said before, I think. It's about being efficient. It's about being keen. It's about smiling. It's about being friendly. Um, the biggest mistake you can make if you want to be a, a sports journalist or work in the media as a producer or some other role is to see someone you want to speak to or, or have the number of someone you want to speak to but not make contact. Um, normally, almost exclusively, if you're friendly to someone, at least initially, they'll be friendly back. And I think a lot of people are quite apprehensive to go up to people and talk Initially, you don't have, you just ask some questions and just be nice. And I think if you do that, and once you get in the foot in the door, just be really efficient with how you go about your work. No spelling mistakes, no errors, lots of care. Don't leave early. Stay late if they ask you to stay late. Just do everything you can to impress your boss and the people around you. And if you do that, then sort of things will fall into place. But it's a great industry to work in. Uh, contrary to what some people say, it's not impossible to get into the industry at all. Um, it's no harder than what it has been before. In fact, it's probably easier if you, if you have got a number of skills. And I'm a bit lucky that I don't have to have heaps of skills. I don't really produce or, 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 or shoot footage or anything like that. But the more skills you can have, the more employable you are. So my advice to any uni student would be to learn to shoot footage, produce radio content and podcasts like this, write stories, speak in front of camera, speak on radio, um, you know, do all that sort of stuff. I think that's really important to be multi, multi-dimensional. Yeah, of course. Um, but that's all the questions from us. We've got a quick question, Ethan. Uh, yeah, so Callum Stevens, um, you sort of touched on it before, but Callum goes, what's it like uh, getting called an honest leech and how did you react to this? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I mean, 
uh, uh, my initial reaction was surprise. I was sitting, I was, um, I was hosting a, a, I think it was Australia versus Bangladesh in a World Cup cricket game. And I was doing it from the Sydney studio. So I'd flown up there. I was excited. I was sitting next to like, I think I was Chris Lynn and Mark Waugh. And one thing that I've learned since is in an ad break, you should never, ever check your phone because who knows what someone's texting you. And I, and I, ch- and I checked my phone in, an, in the ad break and it just blew up. I was, what is going on? I had, and, you know, I was getting messages from mates and screenshots and WhatsApp groups were going ballistic and my Twitter had my notifications on, but I went on Twitter off, but I went on Twitter and it was going ballistic. I thought, oh my God. And then it sort of took me a couple of minutes to get my head back together and I was on air. So I had to sort of put it to one side. And then after the show, I just thought, this is, this is just bizarre. And I spoke to a couple of people I trusted in the industry and they said, look, mate, just leave it. Like, you know, in, in the end, um, in the end, you never get, a, a journalist will never out chat a, a player. Players of the game, journalists are seen as sort of conniving and underhanded and, um, and all those things. And, and you, it's not even worth getting into a, a verbal spat with a player, especially when the player has had a go at you about something that's factually incorrect. As I said, you know, I wasn't sacked from Melbourne and I didn't leak information. Um, I, I, want the one, I want the information to be leaked to me. I'm not leaking it anywhere else. Um, and if I'm a leech, well, <laughs> that's fine as well. You know, a, a lot of people are called a lot worse things. And a bit of perspective is that, um, you know, peop- uh, uh, my view is offences in the eye of the beholder, and um, and even if even if I'm not offended, if- and I'm not offended by that, so as a result, it's not an offensive comment. But if if he said that to someone else that was off- offended, then I think that would be completely inappropriate. So you just got to be careful what you say. But for me, uh, it didn't it didn't bother me too much. It just was amazing how how interested people were, and it was the first time to answer the question that I was sort of the story rather than writing the story, mm. which, 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 which <laughs> made me feel very uneasy. Again, I'm just a journalist doing my job and I've done nothing wrong here. And all of a sudden I've got someone who I've met once, but I've got no, um, you know, I've had, never had beef with um, having a go at me on Twitter. He deleted the message about an hour later and he's had his own issues. And, uh, and I, 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 for, not for one second do I even pretend that my concern or, or my worries from his tweet are anything like what he's been going through. So I, I, I'm honest when I say I hope he gets back and plays good footy because he's a really good player. Um, but uh, that, that was an, an episode that was, uh, was an interesting one to say the least. Yeah, it was pretty weird because um, he said fake. Yeah, of course. I've never seen a fake media personality, which I thought was pretty weird as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, people can think whatever they want. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that – that think I'm no good at what I do. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that don't like reading my content. That, that's, that's fine. You, you can't, as soon as you try to please everyone, you're going to please no one. So you just got to be authentic to yourself, be respectful to others um, and do the best job you can uh, as often as you can. And that's all I can do. And if some people don't like that, well, that's just part of the industry. That's, that's the world we live in. Unfortunately, with social media, um, it, it's quite volatile sometimes and, and that affects others more than me. But it's, it's, still a, it's still very much a part of the society we live in. Yeah, well, that's unfortunately all the time we have for today, which is good. We've gone at roughly the hour, which is pretty good from, from us. No, uh, Ethan, a really enjoyable show as always. And massive thanks to Tom. Uh, we know you have a busy schedule, so you've been very generous with your time and wish you all the best with everything that comes in the future. And we'll definitely be watching on with great interest. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Brian. I'm sure Nick Rewalt will uh, send his regards as well. Good exclusive for you guys to have. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, stay tuned. On the social media at Center Square Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, we've got a huge guest lined up for next Friday uh, with a lot of career highlights. But until then, you've been listening to the Center Square Podcast on Sport FM 91.3.